All right, good morning. Welcome to yet another week of being scattered together, and yet the very last time of being scattered together for this incredible momentous year of 2020. I, I even dressed up for the occasion, put on a tie. Uh, uh, don't get used to that, but um, wanted to just mark the specialness of this occasion, our last time gathering together in this way, um, with the hope that, yeah, so much different for the year to come. As we head into 2021, lots of different experience that we're hoping for. And yet, my prayer is absolutely, as we talked about on Christmas Eve, that uh, even in spite of some of the difficult things that we've all had to endure this year, that, that God may, we may already see God working in incredible ways, shaping and growing us despite these difficult things. We're going to come to a time now where we'll look at a passage from God's Word. We'll talk about what it means and why it matters and what we should do about it. Uh, so let's do this one last time for 2020. Uh, turn with me in your Bibles, this time to Luke's Gospel, not Matthew. We've been in a series through Matthew, which we're going to continue in the next, in the new year. But uh, we're going to jump out into Luke's Gospel here. So Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25. If you'll find that with me, Luke 2, verse 25, uh, uh, Jesus is being brought to the temple as a, as a young infant by his parents in order to be dedicated according to the law uh, as was uh, required by the law of Moses. And as Jesus and his parents are there in the temple courts, uh, this is what Luke tells us happens, verse 25. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon. And this man was righteous and devout, waiting for the consolation of Israel. And the Holy Spirit was upon him. And it had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the Lord's Christ. And he came in the Spirit into the temple, and when the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him according to the custom of the law, he took him up in his arms and blessed God and said, Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace. According to your word, for my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. His father and mother marveled at what was said about him, and Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel. And for a sign that is opposed, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. And a sword will pierce through your own soul also. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us quickly, and then we'll dive into this passage together. Spirit of God, we ask that you would now be present with us, that you would be guiding and leading us, just as you did your servant Simeon all these years ago. Lead us according to your word as we look at this passage. Reveal to us what you want to reveal. Open up in us and, and, and fulfill in us every purpose you wish to accomplish in us through this word. You tell us whenever you send out your word, it doesn't return to you void. It accomplishes the purpose for which you send it. Oh God, accomplish that purpose in each one of us today. And as I always ask now, eternal God, would you move and govern my tongue to speak your truth? Amen. Amen. Okay, so like I just said, uh, we, we're taking a, a jump out of Matthew's gospel, now teaching series through that book, just to close out the year 
and uh, really our Advent celebrations, focusing uh, our attention around the events surrounding Jesus' birth. That's the reason we're doing this. And I wanted to look at this passage here in particular because, man, given the, the collective trying experience that we've all been going through, living through this global pandemic, I think the idea of waiting Longing for consolation is, is a theme that very likely every single one of us can relate to right now. Yes? Yeah, me too. But as we dig into this passage from Luke's gospel, describing the experience of this man named Simeon and this interaction that he has with, with Jesus as he's brought to the temple, I think that there are three aspects of waiting for consolation in particular that were being shown here. The first one is an aspect of consolation. It's a kind of consolation that every Canucks fan who's been waiting for their team to, to accomplish since they joined the league in 1970 has, can understand. Every Canucks fan can understand this, this waiting for consolation of this kind where we're just waiting for the day when our team will at last bring home the Stanley Cup to our city. So we'll call that kind waiting for celebration. The next kind of consolation that everyone is a kind that everyone who's ever had a loved one experience a life-threatening surgery would understand. As you sit in that waiting room, uh, watching for the doctor to come out that door and give you some kind of science, like a thumbs up, a smile and a nod, just letting you know the surgery's been successful, everything's going to be okay now. Uh, we'll, we'll call that second kind of consolation, waiting for alleviation. And the last kind of consolation that, that, honestly, I pray none of us ever need to experience is the kind of consolation experienced when the remains of a loved one are discovered after being missing for, for days or maybe even years when they are at last discovered. And, and you, might, you might wonder how something as awful and horrific as that could ever bring consolation. And yet again and again, what you hear from families who had to experience this is the kind of closure the kind of closure that they are at last able to experience when this loved one that they had no idea what had happened to them has at last been discovered. They've been found and can be properly laid to rest. I've heard numerous families ex describe this experience of waiting for that day when, when this missing loved one was at last found. That They felt as if they'd been holding their breath this entire time. And so we'll call this last kind of consolation waiting for exhalation. And, and that's those three ways, that's actually how I want to divide our passage up as we look through this quickly for a few minutes this morning together. I want to look at waiting for celebration, waiting for alleviation, and then waiting for exhalation. Waiting for celebration, alleviation, and exhalation. So if you closed your Bible, your Bible app, whatever it is, would you open them again with me to our passage there in Luke's Gospel, Luke chapter 2, beginning at verse 25, and follow along with me as we look at the promise of consolation fulfilled in the coming of Jesus. Okay, so let's look first of all at waiting for celebration. Waiting for celebration. So there's actually not very much known about this uh, man that Jesus and his parents encounter in the temple courts here in our passage, uh, other than his name, that his name's Simeon which interestingly is a name that means the Lord has heard. Uh, his character 
uh, that he was a righteous and devout man, and thirdly, that he'd been given a promise by God that we see there in verse 26, that he would not die before he'd seen the Lord's Christ. That, that's it. That's all we know about him, which is crazy to think about that, that someone who, who had been, he was significant enough to be given a promise like this. We know virtually nothing else. There's no other historical record of this guy except this brief little encounter in the temple courts with Jesus 2,000 years ago, which I don't get that. And yet maybe what that is is nothing more than just a living illustration of that line from a famous poem of C.T. Studd, where he said simply this, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I know that's true. But, but here's what we do know. We, we spoke, you remember last week, if you were here, about uh, uh, all the ways that Matthew, his focus on the faithfulness of God to fulfill all the promises he's made in the coming of Jesus. Well, what we do know here uh, is what we're seeing is that in, in Luke's gospel is that this fulfillment of God's promise to Simeon is what's happening here. We're seeing continued fulfillment of promises. And, and here, the fulfillment of God's promise to Simeon that he would not die until he had seen the Lord's Christ. Which, if you remember what we looked at a few weeks ago, that word Christ, which is Christos in the Greek, which is the Greek translation of the word Messiah, which means anointed one. It was pointed out, that promised rescuer that God was going to send. He would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Now, question, maybe you wondered as, you were, as we were reading through that passage, I know I wonder as I read it, is, okay, yeah, but cool, but how did, how did he know that that baby in particular was the one? Like, how did, how did he know this child in particular was the promised one that he'd been waiting for faithfully all these years? Like, did Jesus literally have that gold plate behind his head, like you see in, in old paintings and stained glass nativity scenes? It was something like that. Did, did Jesus, like, lock eyes with Simeon, and then when he looked at him, just was like, yeah, or just like mouth the words, it's me. Like, what? I, I, don't, I don't know. We, we don't know what exactly, uh, how he knew, and yet, all we're told is that the Holy Spirit led Simeon into the temple that day, and then he was given some kind of confirmation in that moment as Jesus and, and his parents came into the temple that this was the child, this was the promise fulfilled, and, and this was the one he should, he should go over to. And then whenever he gets whatever that confirmation is, he comes over and look at his response to the promise fulfilled there in verse 28. He doesn't speak first. What does he do? He, he, he takes up the child into his arms. Literally, it's an uncommon word in the Greek, actually. It says, literally, Simeon received Jesus into his arms. And then he blesses God with this beautiful doxology saying, Lord, uh, now you are letting your servant depart in peace according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation. Beautiful. It's the language both of a servant or a slave who has completed a lengthy task for his master, but it's also the language of celebration. Celebration that now this long-awaited promise has been fulfilled. It's just this sense of, ah, oh, at last, yes, now, oh God, you've done it. Praise you. That, that, that's the sense of what's going on. I, I see this almost like that moment in a hospital or later in a house in your home after a child's been born and your grandparents come to visit. You know, they come over and they're knocking on the door and they're trying to be polite, like, oh, hey, I got to see you. But really, they're just there to see the child. They just make a beeline for the child. And what do they do? They take up the child. Can I, can I, let me hold them. Take up the child in their arms and speak words of, of blessing over the child or over the family as well as of words of blessing to God 
for his provision of this, this, this precious gift. That's what I see really in many ways going on here. And so this, this, the, the first way Jesus coming brings consolation is in this celebration that is coming uh, uh, evokes in, in, in Simeon and all of us in this long-awaited promise being fulfilled at last. The waiting is over. This, this longing for all these years, it's over and now the king has come. And it's the reason why 2,000 years later we're still celebrating those who have received Jesus as well, we're still celebrating. We continue to celebrate his arrival. That's why, at least in Christian circles, uh, the, the, the season of Christmas is also referred to as Advent, which comes from a Latin word, Adventus, which means arrival. It's, 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 that's, that's what we're doing. The coming of Jesus to earth, like with Simeon, we're celebrating the arrival of God's promised rescuer, of his promised Messiah, of, of the Christ, of the one we've been waiting for. And it evokes celebration. Which leads us to the next way the coming of Jesus brings consolation. When we consider that it was, when we consider what it was that God's promised rescuer would come to do. And so let's look next at waiting for alleviation. Waiting for alleviation. So if you look at verse 25 here again, Simeon, this man, he's described as righteous and a devout man of God who was, quote, waiting for the consolation of Israel. The consolation of Israel. Now that was a really significant thing for the people of God, which was every Jew would have understood what that meant. It was spoken of all through the Old Testament. And that word consolation in particular carried with it all kinds of different uh, ideas and meanings along with it, ideas of, of, of rest, of, of comfort, of deliverance, and also of pardon, all, all encapsulated and included in that word consolation. But if you didn't know, if you don't know much about the people of Israel, from, from the time of their release from slavery, their deliverance from slavery in Egypt onwards, the people of Israel had something which I think can only be described as an on-again, off-again relationship with God, really through the course of their lives. God, God had made a covenant with his people after he'd brought them out of slavery and into the promised land that he would continue to provide for them. He'd continue to protect and shield and care for them in all these ways as long as they continued to remain faithful to him and live according to all the ways that he had commanded them. And yet, just read through the Old Testament again and again. Even the best leaders in Israel fail them. They, they lead them astray. And, and the nation as a whole falls away from God again and again into idolatry and unfaithfulness. They, they break that covenant with God. But there's the thing. One of the long-awaited hopes of God's people, this, this waiting for consolation that every one of them understood was that one day God would send a, a, a ruler. He would send this promised rescuer who would come in and who would lead God's people perfectly. He would lead them away from their unrighteous ways and back to faithfulness to God, and he would restore Israel as a nation at last. This was the, what they were all longing for. All these ideas were included in the idea of consolation. So one of the places, I mean, you see it all over the place, but one place you see this hope expressed for in particular is a passage you're likely already familiar with, if you're familiar at all with that famous oratorio, Handel's Messiah, which very often around the Advent season you see performed by 
choirs, or at least under normal circumstances, you'd see performed by choirs and orchestras all around the city, where, where uh, uh, the, the very first uh, number, the very first solo in Hannah's Messiah speaks of this consolation of Israel directly, quoting it from the old King James Version, Isaiah 40, comfort ye, comfort ye my people, says your God, speak ye comfortably to Jerusalem and cry unto her that her warfare is accomplished, that her iniquity is pardoned. You can almost hear the, uh, the tenor solo as you're, as you're reading that. And when you look at this blessing that Simeon speaks to God as he holds the baby Jesus in his arms, with all that in mind, this is why he can say there in verse 30, for my eyes have seen your salvation. And he can say that looking at this child because salvation, both from yeah invading armies as well as from their iniquity, from their unfaithfulness, is exactly the kind of consolation that God's promised Messiah was going to bring to to alleviate both the agony of of exile from their homeland as well as exile from God as a result of their unfaithfulness. This was the kind of consolation the promised Messiah that he would bring. But very interestingly, if you you know it, as you you read through this this incredible doxology from Simeon, was that the way that he, he sees the consolation of God through the promised Messiah as extending, his consolation extending beyond consolation for God's promised people, God's people Israel alone, and being something that is for all the nations of the world. Do you see that? It's not just consolation for Israel, but for all the nations of the world. Now, Here's the thing, that, that was actually, that was not a new concept, that was not new information, but it was absolutely an idea that had been largely forgotten by God's people. For, for in many places throughout the Old Testament, God's people were blessed in order to be a blessing to other nations. That was actually the direct promise through, through Abraham, through his seed. He said, through, through you, all the nations of the world will be blessed. And yet sadly, somehow over the years, the consolation of Israel for, for God's people became, in the end, to become nothing more than just a nationalistic hope that whatever nation happened to be enslaving Israel at that time, that they would be destroyed and that the nation would just be restored to like those times back when David and Solomon were ruling and, and, and Israel was this big thing. Like that, that became all that the consolation of Israel meant to them anymore. But that wasn't God's vision. That, that wasn't what he was seeking to accomplish or bring about. What he, what he was hoping to accomplish and what he had ordained from the beginning to accomplish was a worldwide kingdom. A worldwide kingdom and salvation for all people, not, not just for one nation alone. As James Edwards notes in his commentary, quote, Simeon recovers a long-neglected but seminal truth in Judaism, namely that Israel was not the terminus of God's revelation, but the conduit of God's revelation to all humanity. And so, and this is yet another reason why those who have also received Jesus as their king continue to celebrate his arrival to this day. Because the consolation of Israel that arrived in the coming of Jesus is not a consolation that's just for Israel alone, but for all peoples, for you, for me, for, 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 for everyone today. As, as Simeon says there in his doxology in verse 32, yes, salvation and glory for God's people Israel have come in the coming of Jesus, but also the revelation of God's salvation and glory 
in Jesus to the Gentiles as well. That is to all non-Jewish races. Which is why, I mean, it's, it's both. Israel and all the nations of the world. Israel and the Gentiles. It's why in his earthly ministry, Jesus would state both that he was sent only for the lost sheep of Israel. That's Matthew 15. But then also he'd say, I have other sheep which are not of this fold, which I must bring in also. That's what he says in John 10. He, he says it's for both. That's why the Apostle Paul, Romans 1.16, will say that the, the gospel, he'll speak of it as the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. First for the Jew, yes, but also for the Gentile. It's both, or, or, or he'll speak of there in Ephesians 2, which we looked at, uh, about how in the coming of Jesus, that dividing wall between Jew and Gentile is, is broken down. It's because this salvation, this consolation that Jesus has come to bring, it's for all. It's not just for the people of Israel alone, but for all. Which means, listen, for all who receive Jesus as their king, all, the consolation of Israel and, and, and all that that would have meant for a Jewish person in, in Simeon's day, uh, alleviation from fear, alleviation from bondage, both political and spiritual, alleviation from the punishment for sin, this, this pardon available, all, all these things included in the consolation of Israel, all of that is still available to us today. Jew and Gentile alike, that consolation is available to all of us. And, and that's something that's 100% worth celebrating, yes? Yeah, absolutely. And, and, and you know, we're going to go on in a minute here to, just to talk about how he accomplishes that salvation and that consolation for us. But before moving on to that, I, I think it, it would be so wrong, I believe, to just pause and, and just ask us to consider the question, very simply, have you received Jesus into your own life? Have you received him into your arms? Do, do you know the consolation that Jesus came to bring all who receive him? Do you know that consolation today? And no, listen, that, that, that's not me saying, uh, is your life now free from all suffering and difficulty now that you follow Jesus? I already know that it isn't. Jesus will return again one day to alleviate all suffering, all sin, all, all, all brokenness uh, in this world. But the first time he came, he came to bring the comfort of God to a people who are wandering like sheep without a shepherd, which is first and foremost, pardon for our sin. He came to bring pardon for our sin, which was the thing that has kept us since Eden's failure from being in relationship with God once again. That's what I'm asking you about. Have, have, do you know that comfort through Jesus today? Do you know, having received Jesus, that your warfare is accomplished? That, that, your, that is, your, your losing daily battle against sin and death in your own strength. That your warfare is accomplished and that your iniquity is pardoned in him. Do you know that comfort today? Can imagine a better way to begin 2021 than by learning about that and trusting and receiving that consolation that Jesus came to bring. So all of that now, which leads us to the last way the coming of Jesus brings consolation, as we consider what it was that God's promised rescuer would need to do in order to bring about that consolation for us. So let's look lastly at waiting for exhalation. 
waiting for exhalation. So by this point in, the, in, in their interaction, if you look at verse 33, Mary and Joseph are like completely gobsmacked by all that Simeon is, is revealing to them about their, their child. And yet, I don't know, I think in another sense, following angelic visits, dreams, random shepherds coming up and showing up and telling them all these incredible stories, um, magi coming to worship their son. Like I think by this point in the game, for Mary and Joseph, this is probably just in some sense, also just kind of par for the course of being parents of Jesus. They're like, man, I guess we should get used to this kind of stuff. This is just what happens. But if you look at verse 34 now, you see that Simeon now shifts the focus of his blessing from God now to Mary and Joseph. And actually, although blessing both of them, you see in the second half of verse 30, 34, he addresses Mary in particular. And what Simeon, full of the Holy Spirit, reveals, as I see him, at least in my mind, like continuing to gaze intently at the child and yet speaking directly to Mary, what he reveals to her are two things. First of all, that this child will be an incredibly polarizing figure in the world, that he will be the cause of both falling and rising for many in Israel, that he will be a sign that is opposed, which is which, which reveals the true thoughts of, of hearts, uh, something you see prophesied all through the Old Testament, particularly in Isaiah's words about uh, the, the cornerstone laid in Zion and how it's rejected by many and, 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 and this, it's a, a place of refuge for others. You see it certainly in the life of Jesus. So that's the first thing, but he also reveals something else, that he will be pierced by a sword, which is understood by uh, Simeon's use of the word also when he says there, and, and, and a sword will pierce through your own soul also. So ultimately, basically, he's revealing to Mary that her son, this, this baby in his arms right now, will one day be put to death. All of a sudden, this, this doesn't sound like celebration anymore, does it? And yet, here's the thing. In these words, Simeon seeks to, to, to bring the consolation of Jesus really preemptively to Mary before any of these things happen so that when she sees these very things that he's just described, these awful, difficult things happening to her beloved son one day, first of all, she won't be surprised, she won't be caught off guard, feeling like the plan of God is thrown off, and hopefully, secondly, so that she might also remember everything else that Simeon had prophesied about her son, and that these angels and dreams and shepherds and magi had revealed about her son, that she'd remember all that stuff as well, including the promised consolation that her son had come to bring all together so that although unbearable, although unthinkable for any mother to witness, these things happen to her son, so that she might be able still exhale and interestingly actually, you see Jesus doing almost the exact same thing for his disciples during his earthly ministry when they get all worked up and overwhelmed when they, they become breathless at the thought of all Jesus is revealing to them about uh, the fact that he's going to be put to death by the religious rulers and they're, they're scared and freaking out he, he seeks to bring comfort he seeks to bring consolation preemptively into their hearts saying uh, in, in John 14 peace I leave with you my peace I give to you, not as the world gives do I give you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. You heard me say, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, 
you would have rejoiced because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. Do you see? And although, it, admittedly, it's, it's difficult, almost impossible to understand for Mary and for the disciples then, as well as for you and I today, the reality is it is the suffering and ultimately the death of God's Messiah that is needed in order for us, in order for him to bring about consolation for us. A sword literally pierced through his side into his heart as he hung on the cross would be the price of our consolation. Why? Why would that be the price? Well, there's all kinds of places that we could look to in order to help us understand this, but just a well-known place we could look to to understand why the price for our consolation had to be the death of the Lord's Christ was something the Apostle tells us in Romans 3.23 when he says, for all have sinned. For all have sinned. That is, all of us are in need of the consolation that only God can provide. Because, and because we're all the ones in need of it, none of us could provide it for ourselves or for someone else. We needed someone else to provide that consolation for us. And yet, as Paul goes on, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But then he says this, and. And, that, that word and is so important to what Paul's gonna go on to say. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God and, listen, are justified. That is, made right with God. That is, have, be, have now become receivers of the consolation Jesus came to bring by his grace as a gift. How? Through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as a propitiation, that is a wrath-absorbing sacrifice by his blood to be received by faith. It's actually the very thing Isaiah had prophesied about the consolation the Messiah would bring hundreds of years before, not only in that prophecy that we spoke of uh, directly, where it speaks directly of the comfort that the Messiah will bring that we looked at from Isaiah 40, but also in the suffering required to bring about our consolation, which Isaiah speaks about in Isaiah 53. Listen, surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted, but listen, he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquity. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and by his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned everyone to his own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. Yet, it was the will of the Lord to crush him. This was God's plan, you see. He has put him to grief. When his soul makes an offering for guilt, he shall see his offspring. He shall prolong his days. The will of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous. And he shall bear their iniquities. That's always the plan from the beginning. It's the thing that allows us, as we see it ahead of time, as unthinkable and impossible it is to understand in so many ways that allows us to exhale. When you ask, when you ask the average person today, 
what the meaning of the coming of Jesus at Christmas is. If, if they're aware that, that that is what the celebration of Christmas is truly about to begin with. If, if you ask the average person, what's the meaning of Jesus coming at Christmas about, you're going to get all kinds of different answers from people, uh, even from people who say that they're followers of Jesus. All kinds of different answers to that question. But my guess is, an answer that you'll hear from almost no one, is that, oh no, Jesus came to earth at Christmas to bring about our consolation. You ever heard anyone say that? I haven't. And yet, look, listen, look. This, what, what we're learning from this promise-fulfilling encounter in the life of Simeon today in our passage is that consolation is just what Jesus came to bring us and just the thing each of our hearts have been waiting and longing for. It's actually something we, we sing about every Christmas, each time we sing that Christmas carol. Come, thou long-expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. From our fears and sins, release us. There's that alleviation. Let us find our rest in thee. There's exhalation. Israel's hope and consolation, yes, but hope of all the earth thou art. Dear desire of every nation, joy, there's a celebration, joy of every longing heart. Yeah. I don't know where a message like this finds you at the end of a year like 2020 and now heading into an unknown 2021 as I said, the prolonged strain and devastation of living through a global pandemic has been a common struggle for all of us, for which I'd imagine we'd all gladly receive consolation. Yes, please. Yeah, yeah, we're, we're ready to be consoled and to be done with, with 2020. And yet, and yet what I also know is that for almost all of us, COVID-19 has been only one of, of many sources of sadness, of fear, of anxiety, from which we are all longing for consolation. What's that thing for you? And think about your own life today. What, what are you longing for consolation from? Some of us are now facing fear of unemployment in the coming year. Some of us are facing battles with cancer, with depression, with, with difficult family situations, with, with loneliness, with, with trying to understand what's, what's my next steps for the future, uh, trying to learn what, what does it look like to, to now live life without a loved one. All those kind of battles. Uh, for, for myself, I can just be honest with you, for myself and what I hear from numerous other leaders, right? Now, I'm, I'm facing a battle of, of fatigue. Fatigue in all kinds of ways, physical, emotional, spiritual, for which I'm longing for consolation. Yeah. It's, it's something that's so much more than yeah, COVID-19. That's just one of many things. And yet, here's, here's the hope. What, whatever the battle is, whatever the battle is that you're facing today, my hope and prayer for each one of us is that you would find in Jesus the consolation that we've been waiting for. 
that you'd find in him and you'd know and experience firsthand the consolation Jesus came from heaven to earth to bring. No, not, not a removal of, of difficult circumstances and trying, trying circumstances necessarily, no. But the, the promise of his comfort, the promise of celebration, the promise of alleviation, the promise of exhalation, even in the midst of those trying circumstances. For if in the coming of Jesus at Christmas we have a sure, steadfast hope of the consolation for our greatest battle, that is the sin which separated us from God in which Jesus provided that consolation for us at the the cost of his very life. If we have a steadfast, sure hope of that consolation for our greatest battle, then maybe, just maybe, we can have hope to find consolation in any of these other battles that we may be facing today as well. I believe absolutely we can. And my prayer and my hope is that you would find it today and in this coming year. Amen. Amen.